So John Bradshaw, Codebase.com, founder. For those that are new, basically Peter takes the VC side of this angle and I take the founder side. So kind of like the pro-VC, somewhat anti-VC, but I'm not an anti-VC. But I'm totally anti-founder, so just putting that out there. All VCs are anti-founder, right? No way. We're so founder friendly. Very proud. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. So this last week I was at the FinTech meetup. FinTech meetup Las Vegas was basically the fa- the people who created Money 2020, which is one of the largest FinTech conferences, decided to create another FinTech conference. And it was amazing. But one of the things that came out That's of it. I should have gone. You should have. Well, I think it was. I don't think. You next, didn't invite me. So. Well, I didn't know. I was on the fence if I was going to go or not. Yeah. We got a, a press pass. Yeah. It won. One. Well, you didn't ask. I can I can apply for multiple press passes. Let's do it. Press pass. And then the the question was, is how good would it be? And I think next year it's going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. And I think what made this one unique is it's an emerging podcast or sorry, an emerging fintech conference from people who know what they're doing, who have got the connections. Yep. And I think it'll be a lot harder at the next one to hang out with like the the, you know, the, v, the VP of development at Chase Bank. Yeah. Or Wells yeah. Fargo yeah. or it'd probably be harder to find them. Yeah. Hard, much harder to find. Although if we use, we have access to the, the press room or the media room. There you go. No, the speaker's lounge. Speakers if we lounge. can get into the speaker's lounge with our media pass, that should be our determination whether we go or not. All right. That's you know what opinion. we should really do is set up a, an interview booth there. They have them there. They would love it. I just, no, I, but like, you know, out on the floor, well, yeah, we but just, just like, we're just, podcasting the whole event. Yeah, I mean, so some of them do it. My thing is I just wanted to be able to run, talk to as many people as I could, get a yep, fill of what yep, the space yep. is and not be stuck to... Hey, but you know what? Our listeners don't care about this. Let's talk about what we right, we're talk about. So we are going to name a term a VC collective and how it may or may not be changing in the space. One of the things that's happening, at least in the fintech space, so this, again, is a very fintech-oriented podcast, but we could extrapolate to larger, is that basically... Um, you've got a bunch of these credit unions who don't have the same power as a Chase or Wells Fargo that might have their own venture arm. Yep. So they are com- coming together and creating like a VC collective and they have their own collective VC groups that they're they're running. And some of the things that you're seeing is like, um, was it Money Desktop or MX.com? Sorry, they rebranded years ago. Mm-hmm. They used to go to Finnovate and they would win every year. And the individual I was talking to said, you know, the whole Finnovate, the reason Money, sorry, MX quit winning largely was because of this shift where it was the people getting the awards were the ones that were accepted into this like VC collective group. And so then their members were voting for their own deals. And no matter how good you were, they wanted to vote for their own rather than an outsider. And so the whole kind of, you know, a large, the, a huge, you know, a huge thing changed at that moment. It became harder to win unless you went through like a, a, a bank venture accelerator. Now, how much does like winning an award at Finnovate matter? I don't know. I know some people. I mean, it's kind of interesting data point, but I think it's you have to you have to be the the darling, right? The darlings win for the most part, unless you crumble. But does that mean that you ultimately build a successful business or not? That's a whole other topic. But anyways, let's give examples. So one of the guys I met was was Nick Evans. He runs what's called Circle Collective, C U R Q L. They've got nine. You know, it's a it's a new fund of a bunch of there's a hundred credit unions. They've got what they call a CUSO credit union service organization. So they've, they have a large group black dragon capital is another one that's coming on the scene. They already have 80 million of, of assets under management. Um, their founders have been like credit union hall of fame of the year. And you, what you're basically seeing is like an LP fund or a, a fund made up of LPs from credit unions. And so the question is, is, you know, Peter as if, cause 
out of all the VCs in Utah, you probably have done more fintech deals than other VCs. Do you see that from a VC perspective? Is it harder for you to get in, in deals? Like if I'm if I'm raising, would I rather raise from Circle, one of these collectives? Would I rather raise from Chase Bank? Or would I rather go to Peter Harris who has perhaps no connections inside? Except for like most of my LPs are large banks. Okay, well then, but okay, does, does that make you unique <laughs> but, then? But, but to your point, does it make it harder for a generalist fund? A generalist fund, okay. Um, to compete uh, in those deals? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, does it make me like super nervous? No, because especially in this environment where capital is more scarce, I think the reality is, is that, look, if you're an entrepreneur, it, and you're putting down, you're putting together a round, the dynamics kind of sort out like this. You have your lead investor. And my impression is, is that these venture collectives are not lead investors, right? They're not writing large checks. I mean, these fund sizes, right, of like 90, $80 million, you're not going to be writing a five to $10 million lead check, right? So your lead investors are going to come in and they're going to be like, hey, Series A, I need 25% ownership of the company. I'm going to write, you know, uh, a five to $10 million check to buy that. Right. And then the company has to look at things and say, you know, do we really need a $15 million check, uh, in our series a, and then they're going to go and, you know, they're going to go talk to a bunch of people. And ideally what they're going to say is, Hey, I want as many like good value add partners, good partners that provide value, um, around the table. And yeah, we'll take, you know, we've got 5 million and excess capacity for this round or five to 7 million. We'll give a million over to the collective group that with the credit unions, we'll give a million to Wells Fargo. We'll give a million to university growth fund. Right. And we'll pull the syndicate together. And that, mm -hmm. that's how things uh, ultimately shake out. The part that gets competitive is where the lead investor is like, Hey, yeah, I need to own 25%. And the company only needs, you know, $5 million, right? Or $10 million or whatever. And the fund, the lead investor just takes the whole thing. Okay. Right. That's where it gets tough. And, but in that case, I think my argument would be, let's and, say. And, and maybe the entrepreneur says, hey, that's fine, but I really want the collective group in because they represent all these credit unions. And so they're able to squeeze into the deal because they Probably. have some value out there. Right? But so as a VC, you don't feel like this is competitive to you very much. I mean- like, I just don't think, maybe I should, but I don't view other venture funds as being horribly competitive. Okay. It's like venture is a very like, um, cooperative space, what right? About the like you're like kind of co collaborating, cooperating, but you're also kind of like friendly competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, but like for us as a co-investor, the reality is, is that if an entrepreneur wants you in the deal, it's very rare that room can't be made. Okay. And so I just look at things in terms of like, hey, you know, let's grow the pie. Let's not, you know, divvy it up. Right. So you would, you'd let Circle Collective into one of your deals. Let's just say you For were sure. and you For want sure. 25%. I've got a lot of our deal flow comes from relationships I have with groups like Collective. Okay. Or like Circle, right? And we trade deals. I'm like, hey, here's a fintech deal I'm looking at. You want to, you want to intro to the CEO, right? Because mm -hmm. I and guess vice versa. I think my strategy is if I was trying to raise, I would look at does having them as an investor actually open doors, which I assume it might. 
but I would also probably want to mix up my portfolio of someone who could help me get the right exit. Yeah. And I think the, the but, next biggest but value does of giving, MBC, does giving circle a million or half a million or 10 million, like generate a different type of outcome in terms of value add. How about this? If probably if, not, if I came to you and said, I'd raised a million from circle, would that affect your potential, the decision to re- review my deal or not? Uh, yeah, it would probably help. Right. Cause I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, there's some people with like significant industry experience and connections that are saying this is interesting. Okay. Right? And they have some more insight into that than I might. Right. So yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd be more curious to learn more. Okay. Then without it, for sure. How do you look at maybe one one thought here is I think especially in the fintech space, it's so much harder to get your. I mean, I assume I assume it's significantly harder to get traction as form as revenue, which means you'd have to raise more to get off the ground. Is that true or false? It's generally true, but the, the reason it's true is because fintech is a highly regulated industry, and it. I mean, you have to build like a full fleshed product, right? Before you can sell it, you before can't really, you can really you can't sell, sell it. an MVP, right? So how do what do you does market validation or deals that you may or may not consider fall in that ground? Because typically you don't invest unless it has revenue. So does that mean you just go later into fintech, or do you look for different signals? So generally, yes, we go later into fintech. Okay, not always. Sometimes you know we are an investor in a company called uh, Carputty. It was a very early stage fintech deal we did. But look, we wrote a relatively small check into that deal too. So, you know, for us, it was like, hey, this is a really interesting concept with some really incredible founders um, tackling like a massive industry that no one has really touched. Um, Maybe we put like a very small bet here, but I wouldn't say it's our like typical early stage investments, largely because when we invested, they didn't really have a ton of traction at that point today, you know, they've grown quite a bit and they're doing really well, but, um, that was a bit more of an outlier. Most of the FinTech related deals that we've done, FinTech and InsureTech, uh, the companies are already into revenue and usually quite substantially, but you know, look, we're also a growth fund. So a little different from that Mm -hmm. perspective. And because you're a growth fund revenue is fairly, it's almost a requirement. Almost. Yeah. What percentage of deals don't have revenue that you go into? In terms of number of deals Percentage. or dollars deployed? Just, I don't know. I don't know what's more Because, like, I think number of deals is higher, but dollars deployed is lower, right? I might do, trying to think through, I mean, we've probably done four deals where um, they didn't have revenue, but it represents, like, almost diminished, like, a de minimis amount of our, of our capital. Okay. And those were all unique situations, right? This is, we've talked about this before. Like every VC kind of lies about their strategy. They always make exceptions, right? They're like, Oh, we only do like series a enterprise ass. And then you're like, but what about that? Like consumer products deal you did randomly. And they're like, well, you know, yeah. I mean, so those would represent some of the exceptions. Definitely not the rule for us. Okay. Do you see other industries having kind of like, again, I know VC collectives isn't the term, but I guess the actual term would just be LPs made up of industry leaders. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty common, especially if you have a more targeted like niche play where you're like, Like we are a fintech fund or we are a real estate fund or we are a, you know, martech fund or whatever. Um, And then they'll have a bunch of 
individuals or companies that are investors in their fund. You know, like RET Ventures here in Utah is a good example of that. Most of their LPs, if not all of their LPs, are large property owners. And so part of their value add pitch to entrepreneurs is like, hey, if you're a prop tech deal, uh, come on, let us invest and we will turn on massive amounts of revenue for you overnight by just connecting you to our LPs. And by the way, that also becomes like a really interesting way to do due diligence. Cause if your LPs are like, yeah, I want, I want to buy this product. Right. Uh, then, you know, there's something there versus if they're like, eh, I don't know. Right. Then you're like, yeah, probably not a good deal. And so, yeah, there, there are funds that do that in FinTech and real estate and okay, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What is the actual term? Because it's not VC collectives. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a term that started to pop up. I know Circle called themselves a collective. It's just, it was just, it's a trend that seems to be be more prevalent in the banking space or the fintech space as of recently. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's like a bad name. I think it's just a name. Okay. Right. And I don't know how they're structured, right? Are they structured where every single credit union is a limited partner or are they structured where uh, every single credit union is part of the GP, right? Peter, this might be the the one chance in my life I've always wanted to invent a term. If you and I kind of enforce this with the size of our audience, we could make a VC collective as like a new term that shows up in Moody. All right, let's do it. Done. So if you are a venture fund that is backed by predominantly or entirely of industry participants of a specific industry, then you would be a VC, VC collective. collective. They should start teaching this in Harvard. I'm serious. And then life goal unlocked. Have you ever had weird isn't life this goals like just, that? Isn't this just like a venture fund backed by strategics? Well, yeah, just let's create a better, a better term though. A strategic collective. Strategic VC. No, but you need the like VC. It rolls off your tongue. VC collectives. Let's buy vccollectives.com. Done. Another domain for for, uh, John's portfolio. Perfect. All right. Well, that's all I had here. Anything else you wanted to add? No. All right. Go to venturecapital.fm. All of our links are there. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. And we will see you on the next episode. We're trying to right now to publish every about twice a week. So about every Tuesday and Thursday. But sometimes we just get really busy. Peter's funding a deal. I'm working with clients. Sometimes life gets busy, unfortunately. But like and subscribe. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks. See you guys.